Each quarter, a Hollywood outsider and I documented and discussed the inside of the industry in real time. Four episodes, four questions. I'm Jason from Binge Movies, and this is the State of Cinema, Quarter Four. At the end of quarter four, a self-commissioned study by the film research group, The Quorum, found that 49% of moviegoers had yet to return to movie theaters. They estimated that nearly 10% of those people would never return. My guest this week is the Lady Juan. She first appeared on the very first episode of The State of Cinema. I decided what better person to bring back to see if her predictions for 2021 held up. And if they did, what did that mean for the future of film going in 2022 and beyond? We start with Lady Juan and I looking into these numbers to see what they reveal about the state of cinema. When we were projecting out of how history would look back at 2021, you called it the recovery that wasn't. <laughs> Uh, do you feel like that projection has happened? And uh, that leads us to, of course, our first question here at State of Cinema, which is, what is the current state of the industry? Yeah, I I think I was right. And I love saying that. Uh, <laughs> I, I think <laughs> we acted as though things were getting back to normal much sooner than they were in many, many capacities. But like I said, when we spoke for Q1, the one thing we were all able to do before different protocols and vaccines was sit in a dark room and watch movies. So that's not the thing that people rushed back to be able to do once they could go out in the world. So I, I think the theaters have to step up their product offering if they're going to lure people out of their living rooms. So I think, I think it, this is a market adjustment uh, that was already coming this was already trending in this direction, but COVID just escalated what theaters are going to need to do to provide a unique experience. Of the 49% of people who are not returning, these people are most likely to be women. They're most likely to be ethnically diverse. They're most likely to be lower income. They're most likely to be rural. This to me uh, speaks to two of the three of the concerns. Um, Safety, obviously, was one of the concerns most cited. And then the antiquated experience, which they pretty much chalked up as they needed lower prices on concessions. Uh, they wanted no phones in the movie theater at all and uh, better seating. I recently went to a movie theater that had the old school stadium seating. It was new seats, very nice seats, mm -hmm. but the older style of stadium seating. And um, I don't know if you're old enough to remember this, but I remember <laughs> pre-stadium seating. Yeah. Um, where there were good seats in a theater, you needed to get the good seats. Yep. You had to get there way early because you had to put your coat. If you're in the Midwest, <laughs> uh, you don't have coats in Florida, I don't think. No. But you had to put something to take your seats while one parent went and got concessions and other parents stayed with the seats. And it's kind of a nightmare. And so when they moved mm -hmm. to stadium seating, it was like every seat is now a better seat. And But I went back to that format, tighter rows, a lot more people crammed in there. And um, it was a nearly sold out screening and I was masked up the entire time and kind of uncomfortable because it'd been the first time I'd been in a 
full-blown, massive movie theater that was jam-packed full of people um, since COVID. And I was uncomfortable, even though I was enjoying the movie. Mm. I was uncomfortable not just in the seating arrangement, but just being in there with that many people. And to think if that is the experience that most people around the country are having at the movie theater, I don't blame them for not going back. No, no, absolutely not. I've, I haven't been at, you know, your, the traditional kind of old school theater in years. I think the last time I sat in a theater like that, that wasn't stadium seating, that wasn't, you know, the fancy seats is when I saw Aquaman and I walked in and I was like, what is this junk? Like, where am I? Uh, it wasn't my home theater. I was traveling at the time. And it was not enjoyable. I didn't feel like I was having a cinematic experience. I wouldn't go see something that I wasn't sure was going to be an absolutely incredible experience unless I knew I could be super comfortable the whole time. And the theater by me, the major chain is AMC. And the IMAX has heated seats that recline all the way. Uh, it's they're nice and wide and comfortable. The rows are deep enough that you can have your feet up literally the whole time and you're not blocking anybody's way. And I, that's how I want to be when I'm seeing a movie. I'm going to sit there for three hours and listen to Maria Menounos talk about whatever's coming soon. I'm going to need to be comfortable. Well, we got some weird information here, which is that the group returning or most likely to return were white men from the ages of 25 to 45. And anecdotally, I've talked about a lot about how my dad was a movie fanatic. But after about the age of 50, he stopped going to the movie theater because he said it was a miserable experience. And um, that seemed there's even within these numbers, there seems to be a drop off even for older white men who basically after a certain age, they just stop going to the movie theater. Um, are you surprised that the base, that the, the, the hardcores, so to speak, for movie attendance, at least in the United States, are white older men. Does that surprise you at all? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> the the age range twenty five to forty five. That that's who I'm in the theater with all the time because I go more than you know your average person, and that that's who I see when I'm in there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I'm I'm not surprised at all, and and to see the age cut off, you know, I'm sure a lot of that is feeling like maybe the movies aren't for you after that age. Yeah. And I yeah. think, you know, for for past experiences, it was probably a matter of comfort. Uh, you know, after after 45, maybe not not interested in sitting in a squeaky chair for that long. Whereas right now you and I are saying we're not going to do it at all. We want we want the loungers. Um, so I think maybe it can be the you know movie going age could extend longer with this comfort. But this has to be you know, it needs to be available everywhere. Otherwise people aren't, people aren't going to go and, and sit through that. Everybody's so comfortable at home. Um, you know, the same issues are, are facing sports everywhere in the United mm. States. Mm. Um, teams that used to, you know, have a backlog of requests for season tickets are now doing like lottery giveaways and all kinds of promos to get people to sign up to get their tickets because it's, just as good to watch it at home. Everybody's got a giant TV. You're comfortable. If you live somewhere cold, you don't have to be freezing at the game. If you live somewhere hot, you're not sweating all through the game. It's people are comfortable at home. And yeah. even after being 
somewhat trapped there for a long time, people are still choosing home to watch movies over the theater because it can't really compete in all places. Yeah, it seems to be the dividing line, too. The one thing that that group, white men 25 to 45, tend to have more than the 49% of people who have not returned is higher income. Yeah. So not only are the movies more likely to appeal to them, hence all the IP stuff, we'll get to that in a minute, but also um, they the whatever the cost inflation has been of going to the theater and getting concessions, they're the least affected by it. Right. They're less affected than women. They're less affected by uh, than minorities. They're less yep. affected than people in rural communities. I mean, my guess is if you did this in, in a rural area, um, you'd still find that against national or more urban areas, men were less likely to go to the theater in rural areas. That has to do with distance and inconvenience. Mm-hmm. And so when you really look at it, what it all seems to boil down to is 49% of people are not coming back to the theater. Right now, they're estimating that of that 49%, 8% will never return. Yeah. I think that number is probably going to be higher, if I had to guess. Yeah. Um, it's that if the, the, the sum total of this is the movie is going to the theater is an inconvenience. <laughs> and that is the opposite of what the theater was originally marketed as. It was a convenient way to get big budget entertainment, Hollywood spectacle, in a neighborhood near you, you looked in the newspaper, you drove by the theater, you saw it was on the marquee, you went into a <laughs> showing. It was it was all about convenience. Yeah. So when a convenience is becomes this, I'm going to use the term, and it hurts to say it, antiquated. Mm. It's it's simple market correction. Yeah. It is eventually the marketplace is going to move on, and I and I agree with you. I think. We're at that point, and I think that these trends were already existing, as we, you and I talked about at the beginning of the year, yeah. and I think COVID has accelerated it, and I think it's going to continue to accelerate, regardless of what COVID mutations come down the, the way, regardless of vaccines, regardless of any of this, I think that the days of yore are gone. They are never coming back. Decrease in attendance means a decrease in the box office and the viability of major theater chains. Despite the release of the juggernaut hit, Spider-Man No Way Home, the dollars and cents of the U.S. box office continue to raise alarm bells. Of the top 10 highest grossing films of 2021, the Walt Disney Corporation accounts for 50%. Superhero movies also account for 50%, and existing IP movies account for 90%, arguably the two most domestically profitable movies of 2021 were A Quiet Place 2, which came in at number 8 for the top 10 of the year. On a budget of $17 million, the movie grossed around $160 million. And Ghostbusters Afterlife, which comes in as number 9 for the top 10 highest grossing films of the year. On a budget of around $75 million, the film had, at the end of 2021, made around $122 million domestically. The total domestic box office neared $4.4 billion in 2021, down 61% from 2019. Looking past the trees of data to see the forest of the cinema experience, 
there seems to be a need for innovation in how consumers buy tickets or a gross recalculation on how studios finance their films. Would it surprise you that the top nine of the top 10 highest grossing movies are all IP movies? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> As a moviegoer, I am frustrated that all I'm seeing is regurgitated ideas and characters and spins on characters and the side story of the person in the background of this scene that you never cared about. I I'm frustrated by that as someone who consumes a lot of content but that's what the studios need to do to guarantee someone will show up because they're not going to be able to convince you to go watch somebody you've never heard of tell a story that might not be good. They can't bank on that because it's expensive to go to the theater. It's uncomfortable in some places. It's not safe all the time. So they've really got to guarantee like, hey, Hey, you you remember the Fast Fast and Furious movies? We got another one of those. You can come out for that. It's it's cool. You you know everybody in it. You know, it's it's like the the theatrical equivalent of convincing your friend to come out to a party where they don't know anybody or to convince them to come over to your house and all your best friends are there. Where are you going to go? You're going to go where all your friends are. That's what's happening. I am trying to be optimistic and hope that this will encourage smaller budget movies to be made, diversifying the content for people. I don't care if, you know, an indie movie comes out on streaming same day as the theater because it's not always playing at the theater near me. I couldn't see Spencer. And that has Kristen Stewart in it. I couldn't see Spencer. It was nowhere near me. So you know, I'm lucky that there's a small independent theater where I live and I could see the French Dispatch, but it was only there for, I think, six or seven showings. So I I hope that theaters will diversify. I'm fine with diversifying the access to films, streaming versus theater. But I, I just I hope that this means that they stop bankrolling billion dollar movies that are no good all the time. Every once in a while, fine. But like, 10 a year? Can we not? We don't have the time or energy to go see all of those. The numbers are telling us that Lady Wan was right and that <laughs> uh, there's a big chunk of the audience that's never coming back or is only going to appear, you know, if they, were, if they went to the movies twice a year, now it's probably going to be once a year, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and they're not going to be going to see the French Dispatch, even if they want to see it. They're not going to go see <laughs> West Side Story, even if they want to see it. Because they'll wait for it to come out at home. Yeah. Right? Um, they're just not. It's just not what people do. Because, again, I think what we've discovered is that going to the movies is very inconvenient for a variety of reasons. And it's cost prohibitive for a vast majority of people in America at this point. So you, you, you only have two options, which is continue to produce movies that cost over $200, $300, 400000000 million to make. Then just charge more for those movies. So you're charging that 51% that's still of white, wealthier males, basically, <laughs> yeah. who are going to the theater. You just start charging them more. It now costs $30 to see a movie or $25 to see a movie, not counting concessions. You have to pay a premium price 
to see the movie because the studio has to get that money back and the theater has to get their their percentage. That's option number one, which mm-hmm. I don't see as tenable because I think there's a drop off drop off point even for hardcore movie goers and for um, uh, wealthier people, people with more disposable income. So I don't think you can go that high. I think we're approaching a ceiling of what even people like you and I are willing to spend on these movies. Mm-hmm. But number two is you start producing, even if they're still IP movies, like a Ghostbusters Afterlife, you start producing them at a much lower cost. You have to get the budgets under control mm-hmm. so that when a, if, if, if a movie's $100 million or less to make, which is still an astronomical amount of money, <laughs> but if it's $100 million or more to make, maybe you have a smaller cast. Maybe you film it in Alberta, Canada. Maybe you only bring back the, the, the original Ghostbusters for the last 10 minutes of your movie because you can't afford them the rest of the time. <laughs> you know, maybe you have one proton pack and a handful of ghosts uh, because you can't make a $300 million family drama comedy based off of a 40-year-old movie and, ex- and for $400 million or $200 million. It has to have a lower budget. Mm-hmm. So that in that first week, it it makes it starts to be in the black. It starts to make a profit. So those seems seems to be from a business end, really the two options. The two options you have is charge a lower percentage of people a higher amount of money, or spend less money at the beginning and hopefully get more in the return. I have a guess as to what Hollywood's going to do, and I don't think it's going to be the latter. Yeah, I mean they're not going to rein in their spending they're just going to pass the costs on to us and i'm it wouldn't surprise me if in a couple of years you had the option to buy like a marvel season pass and you know you spent your 50 bucks at the beginning of the year and you got to go see every marvel movie that comes out that year like i'm i'm waiting for for ways you're you're talking about like the theme parkification of of movie theaters yeah i mean a Marvel fast pass. Doesn't doesn't that sound like something Disney would do? Is just pay us directly January 1. You get access to every movie that comes out this year. You get one ticket and you just book it at whatever time you want it to be. But we've got your money now. Whether or not that one looks like it's going to be any good, they, they just want to secure the bag. What you're really talking about is essentially Disney, and this would not be above them or other studios, <laughs> taking the movie pass concept and stealing it for themselves. Yeah. And Disney has the leverage that movie pass doesn't have because Disney can say and has, you have to screen our Star Wars movie, even though box office projections are soft for Rise of Skywalker, you have to screen it in 90% of your theaters for six weeks or you don't get it at all. Mm. And the, th- the exhibition industry the union threw a fit and we're not going to do it and you're bullying us and guess what they did it because what else were they going to show cats i mean (laughs) so when you when you're disney and you own still on a weak box office year Mm -hmm. even then uh, you have the leverage to be able to say hey yeah we're gonna we're gonna give you x Mm -hmm. amount of money we're gonna guarantee you x amount of business you're gonna accept our disney you know they already have all these apps right so just incorporate it into one of the Disney apps. Maybe mm-hmm. it's part of your Disney Plus app, right? And you just pay a premium price. The theater has to scan it. It's integrated in, and they have to accept it as good as cash, right? Yep. So uh, just like just like MoviePass worked in its original incarnation, but it's Disney who has way more capital, way more leverage to be able to put a, put pressure on movie theaters. 
ticket sales experienced a domestic slump in 2021, then foreign sales must have been a shock. China, one of the industry's larger secondary markets, began cracking down on the import of Western Hollywood films. In fact, only two had made the top 10, F9 and Godzilla vs. Kong. For the first time in years, the highest grossing films were indigenous works. Reports are basically saying that they, the not just the, the government there, but the, the people of China uh, want more domestically made films. And I think this is another one of those things that you predicted. You said that uh, as, as we got through 2020, we weren't releasing or weren't able to release as many movies in China. Mm -hmm. And you predicted that these that basically people would be like, we want our own stuff. Yeah. That they'd be kind of inadvertently weaned off of Western crap. Yes. <laughs> and it would create a space in their marketplace for more indigenous art and film and crap. And that's exactly what's happened. <laughs> yeah. And the box office a year later has now reflected it. So you're right again. How yes. do you feel about that? Oh, I, I, I'm having the best day ever right now. This is so great. Predicting 2022. How in the hell are these studios going to make money foreignly and domestically? Yeah, I think I think it's going to be another pretty rough year because there hasn't been enough time to make any sort of corrections to the procedure yeah. and to bring these budgets down. And we've, you know, we just talked about that's probably not what their first move would be, but that's going to be what they have to end up doing at some point is we have to get fewer of these massive budget movies. They won't go away entirely. There's the expectation of the scale of, of some types of stories. You're still going to get that, but there hasn't been enough time for any studio to drastically change what they were planning to do for next year. I mean, there are still movies that have yet to come out now that were supposed to come out last year. So we've, yeah. we've still got holdovers. When is Top Gun Maverick ever coming out? I don't believe it. It's just, You're right. <laughs> I've seen the trailers forever. Um, yeah, so I think 2022 is going to be another pretty rough year because people are not just going to turn around and all go back to the theaters. It's still not going to happen. And they're not there yet with more diversified projects, more diversified access to films the plan isn't in place i think hbo max putting the same day release um was a good experiment i i'm curious to see what impact that will have on their films going forward i know christopher nolan hates it but well what's interesting is they're not continuing it in 2022 right. isn't that interesting right it's very strange it feels like it was I mean, I think the general reaction when they made that announcement was like, whoa, really? For the whole year, you're going to you're going to commit to that now. I think everybody was a bit surprised that they committed to so long doing that. But looking back, I think it was really just a, a desperate act to get people to sign up for the service. But but and you also look at the slate of movies that Warner Brothers had and was reminiscence going to do any business at the box office? <laughs> I don't think so. I think the movies that probably were like the most affected, if I had to guess, would be Dune, um, uh, Godzilla versus Kong, and maybe you could argue. I think they had one more kind of big one. I'm trying to remember Mortal Kombat, maybe. Um, but I, 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 I think Dune is probably the, the the most effective. But it got a theatrical release as well. Yeah. So 
it's one of those things where I, I know that this year I watched more Warner Brothers movies than I would have um, if they were theatrical only. I never would have seen Reminiscence. No. I certainly wouldn't have seen it the weekend that it opened. Yeah. Uh, and that goes for, you know, uh, Malignant <laughs> or <laughs> Conjuring 15 or all of these other movies that have come out. It's really strange that things uh, are objectively worse, but we're moving more towards a theatrical release schedule and we're not pulling back. And that is very, very odd to me. It really is just top to bottom a bad look, right, from from the theaters that they're like, you're not coming out. You're not doing this. What other, I mean, other than anything that Disney does, but other than that, who else is telling you that you're not doing your duty because you're not buying their product? Churches. <laughs> churches. Evangelical churches, movie studios, and theaters tend to be the only groups who are saying, You've you've got to be here. Why are you why are you not here? I mean, AMC was filing bankruptcy before COVID. Yeah. Yet somehow they managed to get forty million dollars together to put a commercial with uh, someone who has zero relevance to anybody under the age of 50, mm-hmm. Nicole Kidman, to tell to guilt us that, you know, boy, if you're not here, you're missing the magic. And no, what I'm missing is a virulent disease which could kill me and my loved ones. Mm-hmm. Nicole Kidman has never stepped step foot in an AMC theater before <laughs> that commercial. And I'm not even sure that was a real theater. That was probably a set they built. No, I, I don't think that anybody who works at these studios is aware at all of why or how people go to the theaters. I don't I don't think they've done any research. I don't think that they personally are part of the group that they're trying to get back. I think it's it's all just using the same word as you antiquated nonsense because it's it's not like that anymore. The way this is being pushed to us is like you know, war bonds, like, (laughs) like what is going on? It's just, it's very strange. And it just makes me feel real gross all around. While Hollywood studios and movie theater chains have been spreading their propaganda. I've been doing some thinking, is there potentially a historical correlation between trends that we're seeing in movies now versus trends that we've seen in the past? Is we're at that moment where For 20 years, Hollywood had been producing these giant, star-studded, very expensive, huge sets, big cast, musicals and westerns. And they were all basically reiterations and and reconfigurations. They weren't necessarily sequels or IP as we think of it today. But it was the same people shuffled around from movie (laughs) to movie. And the appeal was you got the same male lead and the same female lead basically doing the same thing and a slightly different version of the thing they did last year. Yes. And that was it. And those movies made all the money in the world until they stopped making money. And for about 15 years, Hollywood had no idea how to make movies anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's when you have the emergence of new Hollywood and, uh, you know, a lot of experimentation and a lot of those movies aren't very good, and a lot of them didn't do any business, even the ones that we now look back on as being classics and being good. But movies got quieter, and movies got smaller, and movies got more naturalistic, and movies got weirder, and movies got more original. 
and and not just by name, but it was a whole it it upset the whole apple cart. Yeah, that's the best case scenario. Is if if, if we have to, you know, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Right. If we're at that rhyming moment. These superhero movies are the modern day musicals and westerns, and at a certain point, they're gonna fade. They're not gonna be. They're gonna exist, but they're not gonna be as plentiful. Or maybe we just want to say IP movies. At a certain point, we're going to reach a breaking point, and the movies are going to have to get smaller and quieter and more interesting. My only concern is that this time we have streaming, and I think that we're already getting some of those movies, and they're just going to a streaming service. And uh, I don't know that they're going to be able to bail out theaters this time because I don't know that they're even going to show there. I, it, it's, I don't want to go back to movie theaters are dead <laughs> <laughs> and end, end the year on that note. But if I'm projecting in 2022 and say the next five years, I don't see anything on the horizon that's going to bail this industry out. They need a significant regroup and a hard shift to repositioning their place in the marketplace of things that I do for entertainment. They need to get themselves in that bucket because that's where they are. And they've always kind of considered themselves this separate thing. And you are as a movie theater directly competing with me going to the beach, with me going out to dinner, with me going on a hike you are competing with all things I do outside of my house now because I can watch a movie anytime at home. How do you think history is going to look back at 2021? And do you have any final thoughts for 2022? We will see this time economically as a reevaluation of priorities. Top to bottom, every industry do we actually need this? Do we need as much of this as before? Everybody's reevaluating and that's going to impact a lot of industries and the ones that can pivot and adjust and provide better services or products, those will survive and others won't. And that's okay. Supply and demand is important for a reason. And I think going into 2022, it's going to continue to be a rough year as 2021 was because the people who are in charge are living different lives and they don't have to prioritize and they don't have to reevaluate. And I think that is going to cause a delay in the adjustment on their side. We come to this place for magic. We come to AMC theaters to laugh, to cry, to care because we need that. All of us. That indescribable feeling we get when the lights begin to dim when we go somewhere we've never been not just entertained but somehow reborn together dazzling images on a huge silver screen sound that I can feel somehow heartbreak feels good in a place like this our heroes feel like the best parts of us and stories feel perfect and powerful Because here they are. AMC Theaters, we make movies better. You're not taking me to places I've never been before. You're taking me back to the same place over and over and over again. All of the 
verbiage that they used last year. Um, you know, we're closed now, but there's more important things. Be safe. That was all garbage. That was all lies. That was all corporate face-saving mm-hmm. maneuvering. And everything they were doing behind the scenes was spending tens to hundreds of millions of dollars in advertising campaign to try to guilt you to use religious guilt mm-hmm. <laughs> into coming back to a theater at the risk of your health yes. to watch a franchise film that you could watch later, just a month and a half later at home. And uh, that's not a good look. And it's, you're right. It's gross and it's sad. And um, yeah, it sucks. I wish that we could look back and say, this was the year where independent film really broke through. But I feel like independent film is, is, was less accessible in 2021 than it was in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. The, the consideration for accessing that level of movies just wasn't there the way it was the year prior. And if you don't have an independent theater near you and you don't have all the time in the world to get advance notice of the three days that that movie will be playing and make sure your schedule accommodates it. You're not going to get to see those things. And I think, I think we took a step back in 2021 versus 2020. And that, that is not encouraging for 2022. I'd like to thank all my guests who joined me over the course of 2021 for The State of Cinema. It was an experimental, completely different type of show than you're probably used to hearing here at Binge Movies. First and foremost, I'd like to thank my first and last guest, the Lady Juan. She's getting ready to complete her second season of her very own podcast with her own co-host called Screen Run. In season one, they went through the films of Kevin Smith, season two they've done the alien series make sure you check them out once again that's called screen run you can find them at screenrun.fun i'd like to thank jake thomas and kevin brackett as well both of them gave interesting outsider slash insider insights into the industry that we all love the industry of movies the thing we call cinema there's a lot more that could be said about the state of cinema, and we probably didn't even begin to scratch the surface here, and that really wasn't our intent. We were just trying to capture real conversations in real time as the information was coming in. We were really more so documenting the year 2021, the year of movie recovery as it happened. I hope that we did a little bit of that. I hope that you gleaned something of some kind of entertainment or information from this. But most of all, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for listening. If you want more creative and unique movie-related content, make sure to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash binge movies.